When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Hello, hello. What's good, dude? Not too much. How you been? I am great. I had a morning smoothie with a shot of espresso, so I am <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> good for you. Do you want to? I got topics. You got topics. I got topics. We haven't talked in a minute. Would you like to go first? I often do. I'll go first. Go for it. So I'm I'm reading a new book. It's actually a reread, but I read it so long ago I forgot it all. It's called Give and Take. Okay. Two interesting things. One that comes from the book, but one that I realized about myself while reading the book. The most persuasive thing I think you can do is tell a good story. Mm. More important than facts, more important than studies. This Adam Grant has obviously a thesis that he wants to convey, which is that giving is better than taking. Well, no, it's it's that you need to do both. If you've read the whole well, book. Well, I'll get to that's my second yeah. point of what's actually better. But he can do this a number of ways. He can list the pros and cons of each yeah. and just tell you the methodology and the results. He can give you the stats, which he does briefly. Or he can tell you these elaborate multi-page stories Mm -hmm. without telling you how they're going to end. And you start with him. And by the end, you're like, oh, my God, this one person, Abe Lincoln, is so incredibly successful because he's a giver. Being a giver is amazing. And it's only because we're cynics these days that I pause. I go, I wonder if you could pick a different president who had a habit of taking. Uh I don't know the answer, but maybe Teddy Roosevelt or Obama or someone got to the exact same level of success by taking twice as much as they gave. Yeah. But that doesn't matter because to most people, including myself up until this year, basically, if you just tell one compelling story and then tell them that that is true across all humans, Mm -hmm. it immediately gets in. It's how the human brain processes information. I thought that was fascinating. This is the Malcolm Gladwell thing. I don't know that he was the first to do it, but he was, for me, he's the iconic, and I don't even mean this in a derogatory way, fake science pop scientist yeah you know yeah, what sure. i mean like uh and i we tell stories as well so i don't mean it derogatorily but in terms of cultural influence you know that's my thin slice or did you put in your ten thousand hours if he had just read the statistics out yeah. loud to people they do not catch on but there is your guard is lowered in this in the event of a story and we actually we, we took hypnosis classes you go into a trance state yes when exactly. a good story is being told and exactly. the entire principle behind hypnosis which i some people don't believe is real it absolutely is a real state that you can go into and be guided into it's of heightened suggestibility (laughs) so that in the extreme things you can hallucinate things but certainly if you're just in a story you can believe the thesis to be true well and this is tony robbins superpower to some extent and this is why i say the most persuasive thing you can do is become a good storyteller this is my laziest aspect of a charisma tony (laughs) i don't do this enough tony will purposefully start a story midway through that story go into another story so he'll be like i was having a conversation with a friend now Mm -hmm. you're in story one and that friend was telling me 
about when he was in World War II, and now you're in story two. Mm -hmm. And when you tell layers of stories, it makes the human brain just go. It's inception. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your critical thinking defenses are down and you're just following along. And then whatever the moral of the story is gets in there because Mm -hmm. you're not in a state of mind to be critical. Mm-hmm. It's only even for me reading it. I was like, "Oh my God, Abe Lincoln!" And it was only after the chapter when I put the book down, I went, "That was just one guy." Yeah, that was a you should do this because one guy did it. Story. Yeah. But when I'm reading, I'm like, it makes so much sense, and I still do like the book. I'm not being critical of Adam Grant, but to me, the number one takeaway of the book so far is storytelling is the most powerful way to get people to think what you want them to sure. think. Sure. And and the truth of it, Adam Grant might have done a double blind uh, survey with sure. thousands of participants and and gone, "Okay, I have the." what I consider to be factually evidenced truth, but I'm not going to put that in the book because nobody cares about that, right? What people ultimately are going to respond to is a well-told story, and that's going to be what inspires action in people. This is, is, I think, one of the most difficult things about human psychology is that humans are not built to be responsive to truth with a capital T. We are built to respond to stories, to a bunch of other uh, proxies for the truth, which creates... A lot of good things, but also a lot of problems in, around the edges when somebody yeah. is a good storyteller with a bad message, right? Yeah. No, I just thought it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it made me think, I don't know if, if it should go on the main channel or if I should just in my own life focus more on it. But anytime you try to persuade someone with numbers or statistics yeah. or facts, you are better off just pausing and going, how can I convey this in a story? Well, this is what's hard because I try to be concise when I speak yeah. and stories feel like they take too long yeah. to make a simple point, which you could stay with a, an aphorism, oh, yeah. but they're better at actually getting the change that you want to do. This no, is the, sure. when we do a, a video with storytelling it, it's regularly one of our worst performing videos. And I know this, and I know that I'm not the only one that feels this way. It is the least attractive element of charisma. Definitely the most underrated though. Yeah. And uh, I don't do it enough. I know that you don't do it a lot, but we have friends that do and they become their spellbinders. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like that's how you that's how you make stuff happen. So Yeah, so that's I thought that was interesting. And then the second thing that I thought was interesting is he so in his world there's givers, which are just people who give more than they try to receive. If they receive it's it's not their primary goal. Reciprocators, what they do is they match. They go, Charlie did me a favor, I'll do him a favor. And then there's takers who are mostly going, I'm going to try to get. And I thought what was interesting was the givers do the absolute worst and the absolute best. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would be interesting for us to kind of dive into that because I know a lot of the givers at the bottom feel like the world is unfair. Mm-hmm. They go, the world is full of dicks. Souls get ahead. I'm selfless. And because of that, I'm not getting promoted. I'm poor. I'm getting walked over in my relationships. And it's because I'm selfless. And it's like, no. If you were just selfless in a smarter way, yeah, yeah. you'd actually be the richest person you know with great relationships and a bunch of people dying to help you because mm-hmm. of how helpful you were. And I just think that's interesting, too, because we often come up with our own narratives, you know, our, our oh, it's the world is unfair. It's like, mm, maybe you're just doing it wrong. Do you what is his his thesis? It's been years since I read the book is that there's two ways to give one, mm-hmm. which is more. Have you gotten to that part? No, yet? no, no, dude. I'm halfway through. Yes, yeah, so I don't remember. <laughs> It's a cliffhanger. For next week. I just thought that was interesting, though. The, <laughs> yeah. the takeaway I had, again, was like, when people think that the world is against them, mm-hmm. the right answer is often to look inside and go, could I be doing this in a smarter way? Mm-hmm. So when you're like, the world rewards assholes, and I'm getting walked over because I'm nice, the answer is, the world kind of rewards assholes, but it mostly apparently rewards people who are selfless just in 
a smart way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I see a lot of people who are more like, it's unfair and it's set up to help the bad people. Yeah, I don't have the answer, but this is when when you're doing something and it's not working it's possible that you're doing exactly the wrong thing and you need a complete overhaul and you got to throw everything out mm-hmm. and and start over or it's possible that you need the minorest tweak yeah. <laughs> to put everything into overdrive and you know this is true of our business this is true of uh, a lot of things that we did we were we were writing very similar articles to the ones that eventually made it onto our youtube channel which blew it up mm-hmm. and if we had gone all oh, this charisma thing it's just never gonna work you yeah. know we got it we got to wipe everything off and start completely over that would have been a bummer but the minor tweak of switching to video and doing a breakdown format was like what would help the business take off i don't how does one identify those moments i don't know where where you need to completely clean clean house and start over or when you just want to make a tiny switch i feel like if you could do that you would yeah, yeah. <laughs> success would come much more easily well feedback to others has been the best for us right mm-hmm. or feedback from others sorry so when we were doing when we were doing our company called Kickass Academy, everyone told me that name was stupid. Yeah. It was unscalable, and what we were doing would only appeal to a very small subset of people. Mm-hmm. And I just went la 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 la. I'm not going to listen to you. And I heard it ten times. And yeah. then we switched to Charisma on Command, and it was super beneficial to our business. Yeah, and yeah. similarly for me, I didn't just hear that I was kind of a sarcastic dick once growing up. I heard it from all over the place, from various friends in various times of my life. And when I made that switch from being sarcastic to being really positive and making jokes that brought people up, I saw a tremendous benefit. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, and this would kind of run counter though to us starting our business. So it's got to be more nuanced than this. But I wonder if it's, are you getting the feedback that you're a pushover from various friends who love you? If so, you're probably a pushover. Or are you just not getting the results you want, but you're not getting that specific feedback? Maybe it's a little tweak in that case. This is tough because you just said it because everyone told us that what we were doing was dumb. I don't yeah. know if there was a single supporter when we started no, I know. our business. I know. Well, that's why I flagged that. I'm so. saying I don't know if this is right, but I'm just looking at my own life. A lot of the best changes came from actually listening to feedback. Yeah. Hard feedback. That's yeah. sucked to hear. True. And then some of the other best changes came from ignoring everyone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so I don't have the answer to Get this. lucky. Let's think. No, that's, that's something that I want to think about is this is an important question. When to quit, when to listen to other people. I often think about this because – most there's so much advice out there that is there's these common aphorisms that which we all say which is uh look before you leap and those who hesitate are lost like common things that we all say and we go oh i should have known that but it's like there's standard pieces of advice that are completely opposite genius comes in knowing when to apply which aphorism and some people will tell you you know you can't quit winners never quit you got to persevere 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 and then you'll hear another brilliant thing which is when something isn't working insanity would be to continue doing that thing over and over again and it's in knowing when to apply which that that you can get success and right now i can't ascribe anything other than dumb luck to (laughs) to the successes in our life but yeah it'd be cool to have a heuristic that allowed you to determine okay this is something that needs to be quit started over and okay this is something that despite what everyone else is saying i should continue to persevere with because i can make it happen i will say because we're not we're not complete innovators in in starting our business we got inspired from tim ferris mm-hmm. when i was being sarcastic and hurting people's feelings no one was telling me you know what's really fun got it no it's great when you make jokes that cut your friends down and then they get really sad but other people laugh that's sick you should keep doing that mm-hmm. but with the, with the business even though everyone in our lives said don't quit your jobs we did have people who we didn't know personally who 
were telling us the thing to do is quit your investment banking job. Yeah. Start a business that you care about. Live on the beach in Brazil. Got it. That is the thing to do. And so there were, I was getting different advice from loved ones versus someone I idolized at the time. A mentor, yeah. Yeah. But no one was like, hey, make jokes that cut people down. That's that's a sick method of humor. Okay. So this is an imperfect heuristic because I'm sure that there's moonshots like Elon Musk's things that nobody would Yeah, exactly. But generally speaking, consider the source of the advice that is coming to you, right? And so- you know, everyone in your life who is well positioned to tell you how much they like you is telling you this makes me like you less. Yeah. But then family and friends who have never started a business, yeah, never I quit like their jobs, never done anything like, of course, they I are like not this. in a position to tell you what to do regarding what works. Yeah. But Tim Ferriss, who has and did and has examples of other people who have and did, even though he's an N of one, is a much better person to listen to in that No, case. and there's a truism that I really like, which is don't take advice from someone that you don't want to be like. Mm-hmm. And so... At least in that aspect of their yeah, lives. Yeah, and so yeah. when I have friends who I really like, who are like, hey, we still like you, but this this thing you do, this mm-hmm. habit you have, it's off-putting. Mm-hmm. I go, okay, well, you're really likable, and I want you to like me, and you're really like, okay, this is worth taking feedback on. Yeah. And when all my friends who are going on to work at hedge funds are going, dude, you should go to a hedge fund, just work 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., make a bunch of money. I go, well, I don't want that life. Yeah. I don't want, what you're doing is cool for you, but I don't want that. So I'm going to disregard your advice because you don't have the results I want. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's actually huge is take the feedback if it's from people who are doing what you want to be doing. Yep. In consideration of the source. Nailed it. Figured it out that's live. Great. <laughs> that's great. Um, so F transition. I watched a documentary that I watched probably 10 years ago called the corporation and i wanted to rewatch it because it was it was highly influential on me and still I, I agree with large portions of it it's a documentary about corporations and the issues that are endemic to corporations which is they are treated as people under the law in many respects which mm-hmm. is they can fund campaigns they can save money they can do all these things but there's no moral locus of mm-hmm. a corporation uh in fact they're only fiduciary they have one responsibility it's fiduciary it's to generate a profit Mm -hmm. and in order to do that they use externalities Mm -hmm. so if you can make more money by polluting and there's no cost dollar wise to polluting not only are you will you do that but if you don't you will be out competed by the corporation that does do that because you will have to bear the cost so Mm -hmm. we have this system of uh just this is what's going to be created in these corporations and i still agree with uh the thesis of this of this documentary in that there's a problem in how we've structured these things right in that we we have made shareholder responsibility the only legal thing which which a ceo can be guided by but where i've changed as in the last 10 years is there still is this implicit split between what they consider the fat cats essentially the ceos these greedy bad people over here and who they would consider, you know, at the time it was right before the financial meltdown, the 99%. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, here's the 99% of salt of the earth, good, honest people. And then there's this 1% of evil people who run everything. And it never said what I've seen to be true, which is you take somebody from the 99% with their principles and behaviors of what they do and you put them in a position of power and you will see the exact same behavior that you get from from those people like the only thing that makes those ceos worse actors is the multiplicative power that they have but people cheat steal lie in their life all the time don't care where they source their their food from their shirts from etc are unwilling to 
pay the price of doing the right thing in exactly the same way CEOs are unwilling to pay the price of doing I the think, right thing. I actually think the 99% do the same stuff just at yes. a small scale. I actually think that en- for every Enron scandal, there's just 99 identical people doing small-scale Enron scandals. Well, and, and you know, somebody, you, you're at the cash register. They ring up a bill. You notice that something wasn't rung up, right? And you'd have to go out of your way to correct it. There, There's there's so many examples of this. Uh, yeah, taxes. I got, no, no. I, I got sent uh, four things on Amazon when I only ordered one. Yeah. And I, my question was, should I mail them back or not? Uh-huh. You know? And I ended up mailing them back, but someone was in the room with me when I got them. They're like, I'll oh, just keep them. Yeah. It's like, this isn't costless. There's a, someone has to pay for these. Like mm-hmm. I'd be stealing from the supplier, but in their brain, they're like, oh, it's just, it's just free. It's yeah. free stuff. And it's like, well, that's what's happening. That's what the CEO is doing, mm-hmm. but it's just $10 million because yes. he has bigger reach than these little stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I, I speed, you know, it says 55 and I go, 60. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. go as fast as I can without getting pulled over. 64. And then they get mad at, at corporate people who do the same thing. And I guess the only... Uh, not the only I've changed it in a lot of ways but the biggest change from when I first watched it is that I was very willing to blame the problems of the planet on a specific class of people who were not me who are who are worse than me. who were worse than me yeah, yeah it feels better that way and yes and I think this is we talk about this probably every episode <laughs> but it's yeah, I just see it over and over again uh, the world is the way it is in most part because of your flaws multiplied by seven billion people yeah. and while you do want to do what you can to help change, persuade those people to change their flaws in a political thing, you got to start by figuring out how yeah, yeah. to clean that stuff up in your own life, even when it's small. Because if you were the president, your flaws would be magnetized, magnet, is, magnetized. It's not magnetized, magnified. magnified. <laughs> do, you, is it, do you want to talk about the marketing hiccup we ran into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an A transition. I had this on my list. So speaking of people at small scales, will just do the same bad stuff but at smaller scales so we've been trying to hire a marketer to replace me for running the marketing and we might have to shut that down altogether Mm -hmm. because i was i was working with a guy and i told him over and over honesty number one i would rather make less money Uh, we need to have full transparency because a lot of marketing stuff is to like lie around the edges or bend the truth and i told him this and then he sent me a page and it had some stuff that i wasn't comfortable with and so we had him change it. Well, right? I mean, let's just be clear what it is, because this this is the type of thing that people do. Okay, so uh, so there, it's a uh, the checkout cart for our yeah. Charisma University, and we have testimonials. They're legit. They're from some of our thousands of customers. Mm-hmm. And so I said, here's our document where we keep all our testimonials. People have given us permission to use them. Pick your favorite ones. So he picks them, and then under each one, there's a star rating: five out of five stars, four and a half out of five stars. Mm-hmm. I go, that's weird. Our, we do collect stars, but our star rating is anonymous. So I ask mm-hmm. him. Where did you get these? How did you, what technology did you use to find yeah. their so associate this rating yeah. with goes, that? Oh, I didn't. What I did was I read the testimonial and I just went, this seems like a five star. This seems like a four and a half star. Okay. Well, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's dishonest. Please take that out. He goes, okay, I'll take it out. Doesn't push back. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I go, okay, he gets it now. He's been, I told him once I corrected him yeah, once. He, he gets it. We're clear. And yeah. then we end up almost going live. I only caught it at the last minute with a page that has photos next to the testimonials as well because we ask people, can we use your photo? Mm-hmm. He did not go to the page that says has photos. Mm-hmm. He just took his favorite testimonials and then went to a random royalty-free photo thing, took five photos of people that have no idea who we are, and then put them next to the testimonials. So it would say, Matt, 
and Matt's his real name. And yeah. it'd say, the words Matt said. And then it'd be a picture of some guy that was not Matt. Yeah. And I, just, I, was, I was shocked that even after being told the star rating is too much of a lie, he didn't go, oh, is the fact that I fabricated these photos too much of a lie? Yeah. I think what that highlights to me, and if you're not a marketer, chances are you're like, I would never do that. Oh, he thinks he is so high integrity yeah. and that this is just industry practice. Yes. And, and it this, is, by the way. That's my point, is that industry practice has lies baked into it. Yep. And whatever your industry is, if you're a doctor and you're pushing the particular drug that the guys came in and they sold to you and they said, this one's really good. And you didn't do deep diligence into that particular drug and who needs it. Like industries have lies baked into them. And if you're not bucking against the trend of your industry, I, you're not an evil person that you're probably just frequently lying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't know if I told you this. It's such an industry practice. I, I, Google image searched this photo. I went, who is this? Is this Matt? And this photo has been used to give testimonials for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this service is for fake testimonials. And so this guy's been giving testimonials for software and cars and all over the internet. And it just was like, oh, wow. What it made me realize also is that every website is a lie. <laughs> Unless you really, really trust the person. Yeah. yeah, I get why people think, oh, their testimonials might be fake. Yeah. I didn't get it at first. It's like, of course they're not fake. We've had thousands of people. There's five yeah, yeah. testimonials here. But now I get it because most testimonials, I think, are fake on the internet. Or or are honest testimonials with a star rating added or that's yeah. not the person. And it's – and it's. I think there's a – the bigger point here is not that this – this person is not exceptionally dishonest. I think that's what – this person is probably honest with their friends, honest with their family in the same degree that most people are. Yeah, it's just are. average honesty. But – these things do not occur to him. And and I guess the only point to be made is culture and the morality that is standard dictates that certain lies are just okay. And, and there's subcultures within industries and groups of friends. And in order for the world to be a better place, I think individuals have to step out and be better than the culture in which they were born into mm -hmm. at personal expense, selling less, not you know your customer if you're the doctor doesn't take the drug and you make less money you yeah. don't do the surgery that was eh, maybe we need it maybe we don't and yeah in order in order for the big wigs to to be better we need a i think a groundswell of a population that is better i i do think it goes ground up yeah though i wouldn't say that that means that you shouldn't focus on who you know is running these major corporations but uh that's just what i see i feel like Every time I hear this, it's like, shoot, I have to sit down and free write on all the ways in which I am lying and I don't even realize it. And yeah. then, I, you know, there's always you're like, oh, my God, like it just never yeah. ends. It's the, the self-deception goes so deep, you know. I'm going to share one more quick sure. one just for just for people to protect themselves as consumers. I was on YouTube and I got a YouTube ad and it was a woman saying, when I first started my company, I didn't know how to run meetings. And then I started using insert software and I went this is my friend who's an actress. Did she start a company? Yeah. And I look at her LinkedIn and I search and this and that and nope. So then I message her. I was like, hey, are you in this thing? And apparently, I don't know if this is illegal and people just don't get prosecuted, but companies will hire actresses and not say there, it will have no asterisk that says, this is just an actor, Paid actor, actress. Yeah. yeah. And they'll just say, hey, will you say that you're the founder of a company and you use our product? And she goes, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. I'm an actress. This isn't lying. This is acting. Yeah. And so, yeah, whenever you see a video like that, I would just be skeptical because that blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's so standard and they're like, you didn't even know this. There's or I never... think if you're small, I mean, this is probably a $1 million revenue company. Yeah. You know, who's going to press charges on them? Yeah. I doubt it's illegal, to be clear. 
I bet you that's not illegal. Lying know. is surprisingly legal, and I actually think it's it's important because then you would need a someone who was in charge of determining the truth, which is a very sticky thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, this but, one's obvious. I'm 100% positive. Yeah, she didn't yeah. start the business. She's claiming. <laughs> Fair enough. That's that's fairly easy. Uh, F transition. So we uh, we did a video on Trevor Noah. Yes. And I was, I don't. I'm I'm constantly surprised, but I think there's a deeper psychological issue here that is that is interesting in that the polarization that occurs when when we touch on a political subject whether it's somebody from the right or somebody in trevor's case that is yeah. more left-leaning the amount of people that do not care about the charisma tips but just are here to say that they hate this individual yeah. and that's i was like wow i don't realize trevor seems like a fairly decent, yeah 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 people like, hate smiley him. well some people hate him some yeah. people love him but if he were just a stand-up comedian no one would hate him, yeah. right? If he just told the jokes that he tells in his stand-up, no one would care. And my question is, I think I have an idea, but what is it about politics that makes people so comfortable throwing out the basic uh, benefit of the doubt that they that they often extend to other human beings? Where the, and now they're just willing to go, this monster, mm. <laughs> that, that monster, whatever. Do you have any... I mean, I think it's just basic in in group out group, right? I actually, it could be, but and maybe people do. Do people do this in sports in the same way, where it's like those Patriots fans are monsters? <laughs> Not really, actually. That's so I mean, people people agree that Philly fans are monsters because <laughs> we are because that's fair. But no, on the whole, right. you could say no, the Seahawks suck but they got if your fans. friend if you're watching the super bowl and you're rooting for uh, opposing teams you might tell your friend like do not come but you're fine with that friend like your buddies you're cool yeah you're... you can be at dinner and talk about sports without shouting at each other and a lot of times if you're super left and mm -hmm. someone else is super right you're gonna end up screaming at each other politics comes up. okay and what about and i would even say modern day religion i mean you Jewish people and Catholics sit at dinner tables together all the time. There's in-group, out-group. They don't seem to hate one another. Mm -hmm. There's something particular about politics that that does it. I don't know. Is it because you think that the other side is the cause of all your problems? So I think what I think that is happening, and, I, and just to preempt is people going, no, this is important. When I consider most people the way that they engage with politics it would be 99 percent of their time is spent arguing at dinner tables online yeah. with their friends etc uh one percent is spent voting once every four years and less than a hundred dollars is donated towards any sort of cause and they don't volunteer and they're not active in their communities in in a way that matches the amount of time they spend angry about politics. yeah yeah they'll shout about how trump is evil for an hour a day every day but do very little to make sure he's not actually reelected. Yeah. Or they'll shout about, I mean, so they shout about Trump or they shout about Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. Like it, it's, I don't mean to say that this is at all one particular side. I sure. see it. I see it everywhere. And I say that they, they're not, they don't actually care about community level change because they don't start with community level change and mm -hmm. they don't uh, participate in other vehicles that would allow them to more directly, faster change the ground swell via their money or their time spent volunteering. So then I go, okay, what is it that is so internally appealing about being furious mm -hmm. at someone? And I think, and this is based on the last several years of my life and understanding more about my own psychology and the people around me, is that it's, it's a projection of unresolved issues with the people in your life, your mom, your dad, your authority, uh, the guy who bullied you in school, uh, 
the frat guys who were jerks and represented something or the girls that never paid you attention mm -hmm. or the snowflakes that made you not be able to say what you wanted to say. And well, I don't even think it has to be one to one. I think people just have rage inside them. Where does that come from? And I think when you look into every individual and what triggers particular individuals, I do think it has to do a lot with personal history. Sure, but you could hate your mom and mm -hmm. take it out on Trump. I don't sure, think sure. It, like you were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. you were saying maybe it's a conservative person who feels like liberals have infringed on his free yes, speech, and yes. he takes it out on Bernie Sanders. And I'm saying no, maybe his older brother used to beat him up, and he hates Elizabeth Warren. Yes, because he has a lot of rage that was, was repressed because his older brother was always stronger, mm -hmm. and it's just gotta go somewhere. Yeah. And I don't think that the person they're taking it out on has to in any way parallel the person they're mad at. It helps, but they just need somewhere to vomit their rage. Yes, there does not have to be, uh, they don't have to match the gender, political affiliation, any of that. Yeah. What they do have to trigger is the same sort of emotion in that person of impotence yeah. or of not being able to be heard or of being demonized. But whatever it is that they feel like that person does, that's, that's what I tend to see because I truly think caring does not explain most people's behavior. Like I, I see what care looks like when people are involved with their own families and they don't just scream about it. They go to the PTA meetings, they show up, they're, they're present, they're on the ground level doing things other than yelling about it. Mm -hmm. And while I am sure, and if you're one of those people that is actively involved and is uh, volunteering and doing those things, you can exclude yourself from what I'm saying right now. You don't need to take personal offense to this. Yeah. But I'm thinking of the majority of people that yeah. I encounter that I know do someone, not do yeah. any of those things. I can think of someone with very strong opinions who will absolutely let you know them, who does nothing at all mm -hmm. to help any of the things she purports to care about. Yes. And so when I dig into that, and I, th you know, same thing with myself, I, I often, I think it's these internal issues that aren't resolved. And so then I, okay, so what does this mean for moving forward in mm -hmm. the world what would be cool for us as to do as a company and all that kind of stuff and it seems like helping people to resolve their inner conflicts mm -hmm. not only for like the benefit of the world and the screaming that's happening but you got to carry that rage around yeah and it only gets to get let out once every election cycle where you get to just rage 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 and then i guess you get to passively complain against when the other party's in power you get to say that they're the reason that i'm so miserable and unhappy but yeah man helping people to I think see what it really is can start to help them release that or at sure. least that's been my experience and i would like to i'd like to try to do that more as a company so we're gonna get weirder content coming out <laughs> less how to be confident more how to cry about your past and yeah or rage <laughs> or rage how about to release your, your rage yeah we made a video like that it did terribly yeah and they, they regularly do terribly this is this is part of the issue that i'm and you we've talked about this that i'm encountering with charisma on command is that most people identify their problems as, uh, with regards to charisma, confidence, uh, what do I say to make small yeah, yeah. talk, et cetera. And those were where I identified all of my problems. And as I've sort of gotten those fundamentals taken care of, what has become much more interesting and much more impactful to me in my life is, uh, is figuring out how to deal with these, these deeper-seated modes of being that mm -hmm. have been inside of me since I was little and got implanted there by interactions and things that... Uh, ways in which needs weren't met that I thought they should be met and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But I'd like to do more of that is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, my policy <laughs> do one for you, <laughs> one, one for them, <laughs> one Don Draper, <laughs> one deep rage video. Perfect. Then a second Don Draper, <laughs> then, then another second, rage, then video. a third Don Draper. Uh, so next question. Do you want to go with one of yours? I got a couple. I, yeah, I had a question for you. I saw a happiness study. In, I think it was the New York Times. Let me pull it up. No, it was not the New York Times. But uh, 
I'm skeptical of it, and I wanted to ask you what your opinion was. Uh-huh. So, psychologist Rich Walker of Winston-Salem State University looked at 30,000 event memories and 500 diaries, ranging from three months to four years in duration, and he says that people who engage in a variety of experiences are more likely to retain positive emotions and minimize negative ones than people who have fewer experiences. And so, basically, he's saying the more variety you experience, the more you travel, the more different time, the different foods you eat at each meal, the more... Well, is that what he defines as variety? Yeah, yeah, I can go in. Pursuing interesting hobbies, reading various types of books, traveling, eating different food, meeting different people, collecting experiences yeah. is going to make you happier and more resilient to sadness. Well, so part of the issue with that right off the bat is, is this correlated or causal? Because it's totally possible that depressed people, because they're depressed, stay in their room, do mm-hmm. the same thing, don't do these other things. And it's not as if traveling would immediately snap their depression. Yeah. That, that what came first was the depression. And the result of that is the no, limited experience. And this is my question, because certainly one of, it seems, my absolute happiest friends, went, he was uh, from the Midwest, mm-hmm. and he went to an Ivy League school and became a lawyer, and he had the whole world at his fingertips, and he could have gone to New York City and made a bunch of money. And instead, he went back to the Midwest, he got married, he has two kids, and he has two dogs. Mm-hmm. And he seems so happy. Yeah. And he is lit about random stuff. Like he's like, it's barbecue Sunday. Every Sunday is barbecue Sunday. And he's so stoked about it every Sunday. Yeah. And I see a lot of people in my life who are world travelers or entrepreneurs who are millionaires who are dating a bunch and who are chasers. They're actually, they seem less happy. Yeah. They want more, more, more. And so when I read this study, I went, I'm not sure it's wrong, but I'm not sure it's right. And I was curious what you think. Well, it's possible for that study to be both statistically representative and to not say a darn thing about what makes people happy yeah. it is totally possible that on the whole happiness is higher has higher correlation with variety of experiences for the reasons that i described what is my my own anecdotal experience of this i tend to like routine so i can't that's just my experience mm-hmm. and when i think of people I know people in both in both categories. Yeah, that's kind of I, 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 that, I, I wouldn't think... I wouldn't go to amount of variety experience to influence your happiness. I, I would start elsewhere. No, that was my take, and I just thought <laughs> I, was, I was like, is this true? Would I tell people? Oh, you want to be happier? You need to take a vacation every three months. It's like no. only if you want to. No, I would I would I would say start elsewhere. This seems to be a, an unimportant influencer of yeah. happiness based on my own personal cool. experiences. No, that's my I thought know. as well. Yeah, I just was like, oh, this is a study I'd never heard of, and I wonder what Charlie's take is on it. Yeah, don't not not highly influenced yeah my dad sent me here's another article my dad sent me an article from the new york times magazine that was on video game addiction oh sick and i always like reading these for to try to understand you know the new york times magazine is not for me it's for my dad so it's for it's for that generation to describe something my dad doesn't play video games and i doubt many of the readers of new york times magazine do so to it's interesting to see how they introduce this topic. But the biggest thing that I took, as they describe these people who are addicted to video games and whether it's an addiction or not, if it qualifies, if only drugs should qualify, if addiction is defined by uh, a particular substance or of a set of behaviors mm-hmm. that are independent of the substance, I tend to believe that it's it's a relationship with something that is compulsive and you continue doing it despite the fact that you sure. have evidence that it no longer serves you and makes you happy. But what I thought I thought this was interesting, you know, they talked about video game and this was 
this was proof. A typical gamer in the United States spends 12 hours playing each week. 34 million Americans play an average 22 hours per week. 60% of gamers have neglected sleep to keep playing, and 40% have missed a meal. 20% have skipped a shower. And this was in, in the context of, wow, video games are this big thing. Yeah. And I was like, what if we just subbed out work <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for video games? Okay. A typical worker in the United States spends 40 hours <laughs> working every week. Like, you know, they work this much. Have they ever neglected sleep to make it to work? Have yeah. they ever skipped a meal to work? Have they ever missed a shower to work? No. It well, seems some of those, to me <laughs> some of those stats are different than others. Like, I'm twelve hours a week is nothing. I think the average American watches five hours of TV television. at night, right? Yeah. The losing sleep one, I think, is indicative of a bit of a compulsion, though. Sure. And I'm not saying that I I think video games fit the prototype of something that is going to give you dopamine in that particular yeah. scheduled way. And I I'm I believe that video game addiction is as much a thing as heroin addiction and work addiction sure <laughs> i'm just saying if you are someone watching this and you play video games for 12 hours a week you're cool by me if you find that you want to stop at 10 you go i'm gonna stop at 10 mm -hmm. i'm gonna play till 10 30 mm -hmm. one more level it's 1 a.m i gotta beat the boss <laughs> and all of a sudden it's 4 a.m it's like yeah you have a bit of a compulsive issue yeah you know and so it's weird that they all got lumped together i guess I, I thought that it was interesting because what I what I saw in this article is that it starts with the mindset that addiction is particular to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then they go, okay, well, gambling too. And then they're kind of taking, I think, my dad's generation through this new paradigm of addiction as not so much related to the particular substance, but related to one's relationship with something, whether it's used mm -hmm. in an escape and if it's used in a compulsive manner. And what about the, dating? Dating? I don't see why not. And we people- Have you ever missed a meal? Have you ever <laughs> lost sleep? <laughs> Do you spend more than 12 hours a week? <laughs> Not even with your person, fighting or thinking about them. Or... Yeah, yeah. So the question that I would ask, what are the things in my life, it could be video games, absolutely, yeah. that I have evidence do not make me happy or serve me, yet I find myself compulsively doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you don't have any of those hard addictions, drugs, and if you don't even have any of the more common soft ones, gambling, et cetera, You'll find that there's something that you compulsively do because I've been trying to sit still in my room and I can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I purposely try to sit down there and not use the Internet, not read, not something. And what I find that I believe drives everyone is the inability to sit still with oneself yeah. and be OK. And I and I need to cultivate that in myself because I'm addicted. I'll be addicted to anything. Yeah. Whatever you give me that gets me out of sitting still. I will, I will yeah, yeah. latch on to that thing and come back to it, even though it doesn't make me happy. I say we go back to the good old days before video games when everyone was just an alcoholic. Let's you know? <laughs> go back to the simpler addictions. <laughs> That's those really positive ones. Drugs and alcohol. Let's go back to the 70s or the 40s. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing that I read, this was, this was interesting. So I've been doing this video on Thomas Shelby. Yeah. And... I he's interesting. He's a character from Peaky Blinders and people like him because he's cool and all these things. But he also has these strategies that work out because it's a scripted drama. Mm -hmm. But also, I think there's an interesting way in which he goes around solving these things. And you can watch the video. I don't want to spoil too much of, of Peaky Blinders, but he often has multiple problems that crop up and he's able to solve them by combining them and using what I've what in the video I call using trash as a resource and so mm. this week I was just a, I was looking for these types of things in the world and so first Ivan called me and he's like dude have you heard of these container homes yeah and he just brought this up out of nowhere he's like you know those shipping containers uh well they're just they have too many of them they've just been sitting out and so people realize that these things are 
they're meant to go over the ocean. You know what I mean? Like they can deal with storms and they can be battered and all this kind of stuff. And they're pretty tall. So you stack a couple of these together, cut a door in one, and you've got these interesting rooms. Mm -hmm. So people are now living in cheap housing Mm -hmm. from shipping containers. And I was like, that's so fascinating. There's an idea of using what was just filling up a landfill, which was a problem that somebody had to get rid of as a resource. And then I was just reading stuff and this guy, Boyan Slot, have you heard of him? No. He's an environmentalist. He's like a 24-year-old European. And he decided that he wanted to clean up the ocean because there's these big trash mounds just floating in the mm-hmm. ocean and they tend to clump together. And everyone else who has looked at this problem is like, this is just not economically feasible. Why would we go out into the middle of the ocean to clean up trash? We got trash everywhere else. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. But he, being innovative and smart, goes, well, there's kind of an advantage to the ocean, which is that it's water. Mm-hmm. And the water instantly, if there's paper out there, it doesn't float. So the only things that are in these heaps are plastic. So they've already done our recycling sorting for us. Mm. So if we can get out there and we get enough of this, we just have all of this plastic, which we can sell back to these recycling plants and make money off of. Mm. And so not only is that a brilliant thing to use this trash as a literal resource, but then the engineers there are really smart and they invent these solar powered, low energy things, which are basically just giant parachutes with a tiny parachute in the back. So you push them into the ocean currents and the ocean drags this parachute but because there's this little parachute it drags it a little bit slower than the trash so the trash just starts to build up in this massive parachute thing and it's 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 low tech man it's it's you know they got radars and and gps so they can track it down but it's just it's just a catcher (laughs) you know wow and and of course there's there's they had to work hard on the engineering to make sure trash doesn't spill over the top and there were definite engineering problems but from a uh, a conceptual standpoint it's not all these moving parts mm-hmm. and so what they're saying is if we can leave this thing out for five years and just have it catch all this trash what he's saying is he can take down the trash in the pacific by 50 percent in five years wow and it doesn't work at low scale if they get it up to that size it's profitable so then they're, they're taking this trash making money selling it back they send one giant boat up there to basically go pick up all of this I mean, it's money, right? It's plastic yeah. that they can that they can reuse, and I thought that was so fascinating. That is such an innovative way to think about a problem. And I wanted we don't have to do it live because I think we'll probably stumble for a long time. But I wanted to sit down with you and think about this in our own lives and business. Yeah. And the question is, what do I think of as trash in my life? Yeah, yeah. What is just a headache? What just costs time and money? What's what's just a waste? Yeah. Some of the videos I made. <laughs> yeah. And the question is. In what context could this really be valuable? Yeah, and like kidding. you know what I'm saying, right? And and if you did think you're like, oh, that was a terrible video, like okay, what can I repurpose them, reuse them, sure. whatever? Uh, so I haven't figured it out, but that is that's how nature works, and that's one of the weird things that that technology in the first industrial revolution got messed up is that it was linear. Yeah. It was like we take oil, we use it, we do this thing, it. He creates crappy oil and we throw that elsewhere and it's well, a straight is, line yeah this is a, this we need to think more outside the box than this but one thing i'm thinking is we have some videos i think are actually excellent mm-hmm. that not a lot of people have seen i wonder we've talked about oh could you retitle it what if you took four of them and their best points right yeah. so you pick four videos that you think are good that people haven't seen mm-hmm. you turn them into one video that is excellent by cutting the worst parts of sure. all four and now you have a video that's instead of just about Thomas Shelby or just about Don Draper is about some overarching thing that combines four celebrities yeah. 
in their best stuff and that might be 10 out of 10 content with a good title yeah and so now you take these things no one's seen and it becomes one of our best videos that a lot of people could see sure and that's exactly the type of mentality like what is wasted what is garbage yeah. what am i overlooking what is just a, and even beyond that because that's not necessarily a drain like what are the things that are costing us money that sure. we look at as uh cost necessary centers, evils necessary evils yeah. that, be, that could become hugely positive mm. um with the shift in context so i wanted to go through and, and do that with you we don't have to do yeah, it today, yeah. i but, think it's a great idea yeah Let's let's chat about it. And generally speaking, I think that's the future of environmentalism. I think it's the future of business. Is is you know, we're we're used to linear. You take something out of the earth, you transform it. It gives you a, a waste product. Mm -hmm. But nature, of course, is you know, plants create CO two or, or wait, plants create oxygen, which animals yeah, the take waste, in and they, the waste of, of plants something is the life's blood of humans. And those the are the words I wanted. Is, <laughs> <laughs> and it makes a circle. Yeah. Right. And so that it that is what sustainability looks like. Yeah. Sustainability doesn't look like efficiency in a straight line. It looks like a circle. Yeah. Um, so we should we should definitely chat about that. I like it. Uh, cool. Any other things that you had? Yes. But oh, this is only if it's interesting to you. Do you do you know Shia LaBeouf's backstory? Some of. Did you find it when you I thought this was fascinating. If you're uh, if you think it's interesting or people think it's interesting, I think it's cool to dive into. Um, when I saw him having his breakdowns however many years ago, screaming in front of a green screen, yeah. wearing a thing over his head. I went, what a spoiled lunatic. Mm -hmm. A, what a jerk for complaining that he has problems when he's so rich and famous. And B, what a crazy person. What an unjustified thing that's occurring. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I kind of judged him from afar. And then as I get older, I've learned to, to have some empathy. I was not very empathetic. I was super judgmental in my 20s. But I was watching this video about his backstory about his drug addicted father, yeah. about being five years old and having to go sell hot dogs to support himself, about being the only white kid at his school and having to learn to be funny so that he didn't get beaten up, literally learning yo mama jokes. Because <laughs> if he didn't have a good comeback, then he would get beat up. But if he made people laugh, then they'd spare him. Mm -hmm. And he goes through this. And when he was in even Stevens, in my mind, I was like, oh yes, he looks like me. He's like a white yeah. middle-class kid. He got this big break and then he's rich. He was living in a motel with his drug addicted father mm -hmm. and he was he had he saw heroin and all this other crazy shit. and for me at least i went oh my god of course he's had a hard time of course he had his breakdown mm -hmm. and it's true of everybody who's ever had a breakdown it's true of justin bieber's breakdown it's true of britney spears breakdown and i don't know i just thought it was fascinating it's this journey i'm on to continue to be not judgmental and it was just another lesson that kind of hit home for me. Anytime you see someone and you think they're crazy, they're stupid, they're not like you, you probably just don't realize the horrible shit that they've been through. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I thought that was fascinating because to him, to me, he's just the the guy from Transformers. What a lucky kid, rich at 17. Yeah, I got to act alongside Megan Fox, yeah. who was my childhood crush. And, and it's like, yeah. oh, you wouldn't trade. You wouldn't trade yeah. for a second mm -hmm. with this poor kid who's gone through so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed doing my breakdown on him he's he talks about that stuff he is so disarmingly upfront about yep. a lot of it and he talks about seeking you know i guess i probably did it all for validation from my dad you know like, mm -hmm. you know like just just so disarmingly real when yeah. he answers the questions about what motivates him and, yeah. and those sorts of things so i've i still i've blocked a lot of the youtube videos so i don't spend too much time but the ones that occasionally do pop up at the end are shia labeouf videos and yeah. every now and then i just watch a new interview of his i like him no, it's incredible. And then you think, okay, he's so traumatized. I can have empathy with him. 
because his dad was such a bad dad. Mm-hmm. His dad was a Vietnam War vet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God only knows what he did yeah. and what he thought he was doing to be a patriot and protect his country. Mm-hmm. And so, again, yeah, it's just layers of, of empathy if you can if you can get in that space. Yeah. It's very interesting. There's What's the phrase? Uh, he who understands all forgives all. Yeah. And, I think, and I think the problem is that we have such a shallow understanding of so many people, more yeah. than ever, right? Like, you, you are familiar with... A quantity of people that would have blown most Be humans. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible. hundred years ago, could not have known the name of someone who didn't live in yeah. your tiny little thing. And yet you know nothing. And yet them. you know nothing about them. But yeah. you have this illusion because what's weird is you've seen them. You've seen them in an intimate, candid moment mm-hmm. uh, on whatever, doing an interview or spitting something. Spitting on a cop. Spitting Being arrested, on a cop. spitting on a cop. You go, yeah. this dude's a f***ing jerk. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Angel. You're going to have a lot of sense. Sorry, <laughs> But like, you're going, this guy is out of control, a spoiled brat, spitting yeah. on a cop money's gone to his head it's like yeah but he also had a terrible upbringing and this is he has to go to alcohol because he's dying inside yeah well and again similar to politics i think that when you look at the strong opinions both positive and negative that people have around celebrities that they do not know yeah uh, it's one thing to love someone's work but when it crosses or or hate someone's work but when it crosses into loving or hating that person yeah I think we're dealing with projection. Yeah. I think we're dealing, that is an outlet for, for people to not look within at the parts of themselves that they really do respect and admire and want to cultivate more of, or the parts that they hate and they judge and they think negatively about. Yeah. So again, you know. No, me. I think it's a good point you make about idolizing because that certainly mm-hmm. will say Brad Pitt was someone when I was growing up. I was yeah. like, what the, what a perfect man. <laughs> yeah. It's just like an angel from yeah. above. He looks beautiful. His he does roles, all these cool roles. His roles are really cool. Yeah. He's marrying these beautiful women. I was like, man, to be Brad Pitt. Yeah. And then he does this interesting interview where an, an interviewer basically says the same thing. And they're like, you know, you've got all this stuff. And he goes, yeah, the exterior looks nice. I don't think you'd want to trade. Because he says, I wish I were you. He says, I don't think you'd want to trade if you knew what was happening on the inside. And he's, the interviewer laughs, but he's not joking. Yeah, yeah. He's saying, don't get fooled by the pretty women and the fact that I'm beautiful. I'm, yeah. I have miserable moments all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's true of the people you idolize too. You can like Fight Club, but the second you think that Brad Pitt is living a perfect life, and if only I could be Brad Pitt... Mm-hmm. You wouldn't trade with him either. Yeah. Knew what was going on. Yeah, that mentality has stopped my... There was a point in which... And I still would love to, on this podcast, have interesting people who I admire to speak to them. But there was a point, probably stopped a year or two ago, where I thought that if I could get into the friend group of the Tim Ferrises Mm -hmm. and the Joe Rogans, that that would be important. Just to be clear, having a candid conversation with Brad Pitt, where he would be honest, on or off camera, would be one of the most enlightening conversations I ever had. Because he has had it all and he's had the good and the bad yeah. like i could i could learn so much from that i would love to speak with these people yeah i'd love to but there was it went beyond that it went if, if if you could like me and if i could be your friend and we could be buds and we could text or call then that would mean something yeah and i've i've absolutely let that go i mean i am i'm fortunate you're an awesome friend like our friend group is is amazing and and maybe I'm overvaluing them. I love them, but like, I don't think I can do any better. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think, I think, I don't, I'm sure there's wonderful people everywhere of similar quality, but whether they're famous and they've, they've uh, had achievements, I don't think that I'm going to find people that make me laugh any more than my yeah. friends make me laugh. Like, it's going to be, if I'm lucky, more of the same quality yeah, I was of say, friend. Maybe the takeaway is no better, no worse. No worse. Like, no if worse. You take, I don't know, I'm not going to list them, but there's 10 people of Tim Ferriss's notoriety, yeah, fame, yeah. and wealth, right? They're not all going to be less funny. No, no. The point's not that they're bad. The point's not Brad Pitt's bad. It's that there's no... At the end of the day, you just want people that are kind to you and make you feel good. It's going to be people. And they're some gonna, of these people... Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be it's people. It's agnostic of their success. Exactly. So that's not to say that I couldn't... Yeah, that's no diss on any of these no, people. No, no, no. It's just to say that 
have great people, and I'm sure there's great people in that sphere, and there's also people that are not, in, you know, both in my the people that I do encounter on a semi-regular basis and, and in that circle as well. Yeah. So that's the truth. I had one other thing, which is a, it's a minor point. I watched Nick Offerman. He's the guy from Parks mm, yeah. and Rec on mm-hmm. Hot, Wings? Show? Hot Wings. Yeah. yeah, I know that because it was it was being fed to me, <laughs> being fed to you. And actually, Henry watched it. I just overheard, and it was interesting because he was talking about the importance. What did he say? Of being able to use a screwdriver and change a tire, and how and how that was important to uh, to being a fully realized person. Yeah. And I disagreed with him. Sure, me too. And what I thought was interesting, and this happens in every generation, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this, is that when he, like 200 years ago, I don't know if we had screwdrivers, and tires certainly did not exist, mm-hmm. right? Screwdrivers and tires were the technology of his time. Sure. That was how things got done when he was there. And today, what you do with your hands is you program, yeah. right? You code. Uh, now it's, and there's a, there's a mind-hand synth- synergy that goes on there. Video games, in some way, are yeah. are that you know that's what we do with our hands today, and so I just I wanted to be careful when as I get older to not start telling the youth that the technology that I grew up with is somehow superior, more human yeah. than the technology. No, that screwdrivers they will grow up are with. cool, but there's no that's like saying if you can't load a musket, then you are not a fully realized adult. Yes, and he wasn't he wasn't. Uh, evangelical that was that was his hot take on the ability to to craft a bench sure i'm just saying that everything is going to get outdated sure screwdrivers are useful now i'm not no diss to people who like screwdrivers yeah listen you didn't i you didn't like mine the ore that turned the axe into a thing which is what people had to do a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. you don't know how to smelt metal yeah (laughs) there's a ton of skills well he might (laughs) we've we've lost we lose skills and gain skills along the way yes he did not build all of the foundational things that allowed him to chop down the tree or smelt the metal or the the whatever right uh you know people argue that cursive was important when we were growing up that one needed to be able to write in cursive well define important what i don't even know what metric this seems so easily disproved like it's important to be successful to be happy no i think i think what happens is the generations say the way that i did things is is one should do one should continue to do zuckerberg might have never held a screwdriver in his life of course he's got more money than god (laughs) well 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 what they would say is that i think that there's that you miss out and i'm sure you do i'm absolutely sure you do when you're not farming from the ground or you're not suffering and when in with sickness for medicines that we have you're missing out on human experiences Mm -hmm. but I also think it goes both ways. You know, those people who are, are very handy and can change a tire but can't program are missing out mm-hmm. on something when it comes to programming. I think that's part of what it is to be alive is to recognize that there's a lot of ways to express one's creativity and humanity. And there is an intrinsic belief that the way that you were taught to do it and raised to do it is somehow superior yeah. than other people. And I, that was just a, a reminder that, oh, man, I'm going to fall into this yeah, as yeah. I get older. And I'm going to start telling kids what they ought to be doing and that they're not doing it the right way. And I, I want to check that impulse yeah, yeah. in myself. I want to let you know you made up for the virtuous circle thing because that was well said. <laughs> so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add nothing. I thought that was very well said. Virtuous, you know, it's like this. this it's a thing. It's the shape. The waste of the. It's the shape. You guys get like it. <laughs> like picture a tornado, but a virtue. But you're looking down on the tornado. It gets higher. Uh, this is super random. Did you see the Witcher trailer? I saw one of them. Netflix is legit. I really don't have a takeaway besides how mm. crazy it is that this little online streaming uh, business. They're not online streaming business. They well, this, were a DVD delivery. This is what business. I'm saying, I guess. This, yeah. this, this thing that was a tiny upstart. 
can now hire Superman yeah. to do combat scenes that rival Game of Thrones and modern movies. Mm -hmm. I watched the trailer. This is, it's insane to me that a tech startup funded this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or that, that a tiny streaming company started this. That was my only takeaway. Yeah. Oh, my God. This no. is blockbuster. I have, I have more than that. We've discussed this, but it's worth saying on the podcast. We've been doing our business for seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. There were people, and are, there will be people, and it's the first time that I've seen someone who you know struggled for a year or two, made it for the next two or three years. And because you're in that, you go, they've made it. Mm -hmm. They're done. And now we're seeing people cap off, mm -hmm. and you're seeing the dip start to happen. Uh, who knows where we are in that cycle? But it really taught me that life is long and a business can be alive and thriving in five years and dead in eight sure and what's so impressive about netflix is that they recognize that and mm -hmm. they said oh we're killing dvds and i've read the book and they had to lay off a third of their workforce because they said these people understand logistics but they do not understand streaming at mm -hmm. all we need to build this incredible streaming empire but they had the vision and and i guess the intestinal fortitude it's tough right to do that sort of stuff and there were casualties along the way. There were people that were cut. Mm -hmm. And then they said, okay, you know, we've got Disney's on here. And they, they said, Disney's going to do this too. Yeah. We need our own IP. And then they got on that before, like now Disney Plus exists, but they've got Stranger Things. They've got stuff that will keep people. So yeah. they've been innovating ahead of the curve. And and they get the A-listers. Like YouTube Red tried this. Mm -hmm. No, not YouTube. <laughs> Love you guys. But they tried this, but they did it with random actors or YouTube stars. You know what I mean? Not a not a ton of. They went half in, and that's totally fine. Yeah, but Netflix... but ne dude, Netflix has Superman. There's a Paul Rudd one I'm watching. They have these these Will Smith made a just for Netflix movie. Yep, like they they are making a list productions. They the YouTube Red was a, a side project. Yeah, and this is and I and I think we can be guilty of this. I think there's we should talk about the podcast like this because I do think the channel like I every agree. channel is going to have a natural life, and there's a temptation to go. Oh, I'll start something, but it'll be like my YouTube Red. It'll be my side project. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to really push it. And if we are, in fact, I still am interested in making some of the videos, but I've, I've said a lot of what I have to say. And the podcast for me is a more interesting space to talk about a wider variety of things. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to do this once a week, I think, I think we need to do it twice a week. Yeah, I, I, think we, I think we need to push it. I think we need to... I mean, when you look at the amount of money that Netflix invested, that people would have thought they were crazy because they had a thriving business and they were throwing money away into these Netflix productions, 99 out of 100 of which were trash. Yeah, no one wanted. <laughs> at first, no one wanted. They just went, yeah. oh, just give me Marvel movies. I'm not going to watch this. Yep. Uh, but they're alive yeah. because of it. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I think that we're not in the same competitive field as Netflix, thank God. Because yeah. <laughs> they'd eat our lunch. Yes, exactly. But we need to keep innovating i agree and people can't i've seen this with my friends you cannot rest on your laurels yeah you can for about a year two years yeah. and then and then you can't rest on them after that so i love it yeah gotta gotta keep innovating that's it for you that's it for me that's it for me angel welcome to the podcast angel's a little bit sick thanks for showing up we appreciate you coming in with the cold yeah no problem um i've got some current events here so speaking of YouTube, um, Mr. Beast's most recent stunt was that he uh, promised to plant 20 million trees. Um, he and a couple of volunteers ended up planting a couple thousand for his video. Uh, bless you. But he um, he uh, called for donations and actually has had some backing from uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, 
who donated 150000 and Elon Musk, who donated or plans to donate $1 million. Yeah, I saw him. He, he Apparently, it went in. Yeah, well, and he even changed his name on Twitter to Trelon. So he is all in. <laughs> he can meme so He's well. Great. He's great. He can meme so well. Yeah. No, uh, they, they were saying he even formulated his tweet where he said, I'm going to give the money in a way that made it memeable, if that makes sense. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't just write, hey, Mr. Beast, I'm in. I'd like to donate. Yeah. Like he phrases things hoping that people will Sounds take it cool. and meme yeah. it. Yeah. And I saw that there was someone. Do you have more, Angel? Well, I was just going to say right now they're a little over 2 million, um, and which they say will be about 12 million trees. So he's close to his goal already. Interesting. Wait, they must have raised more. Oh, they – you donate it's less i thought it was a dollar per tree am i wrong i think it's a dollar per 20 trees is what it said oh wow mm -hmm. well that math doesn't work it's two million for 12 million i trees. believe i could check out it again we uh, could we should run the numbers on the math because i thought that elon donated a million dollars not a million trees no but he I, donated a million dollars yeah okay got it and i saw somebody else i believe it was dollars that and this is the interesting thing came in with a million and one some person you probably haven't i would you haven't heard of them hmm. and it's just interesting where you, you can get that uh when you can work validation and competitive nature into charity. Well, well, even before Elon, Mr. Beast donated $100,000, mm -hmm. and he said, someone beat this, please. And someone came in with 101, and yeah. he immediately came in with 102. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then Elon came in, and someone else came in. Like, Mr. Beast plans for that. That's also so mean to 101 guy. Yeah. He just wanted his moment. He, he got just, his moment. He had a moment. I'm sure he was shouted out in a video. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You, just, you just snarked him right away. So thanks so much for that. <laughs> now beat this yeah no when you can when you can work people's competitive nature and a public scoreboard this is why all of those soul cycles are blowing up is because you can well i guess soul cycle might not have this but there's a lot of the orange theory type places where they put your score yeah. in front of everybody what do you think mr beast did that we didn't do because obviously he has a bigger He's audience, a huge but, audience well no one tried to come in and beat you know if we each gave 50 grand no one came in with 51. And yes. we didn't even mention it. We didn't say... We didn't meme it. We didn't mention it. He's more of a personality than we are. That's the other thing. I I'm, I'm, wasn't on screen. And people don't come to Charisma on Command for Charlie Hooper. Uh -huh. they, they go to Mr. Beast for Mr. Beast. Well, I think. we also didn't set it up. There was no validation in coming in at 50,001. Uh, sure. And, and maybe we could have. But his whole channel... I mean, we, we approached it. And I think he did it perhaps more wisely from the motivational perspective of be like keanu reeves mm -hmm. give some money mm -hmm. uh, and that was our vision do a little bit right mm -hmm. just do a little bit and, and a lot of people did a little bit which yeah, yeah. we raised 300 grand i'm proud of what we yeah, did yeah. i'm just thinking out loud no well, one... mr beast i haven't watched the video and i think it would be fascinating to do but knowing his style it was probably gamified it mm -hmm. became a big event it became uh exciting yeah people want to be at the top of his leaderboard is all i'm saying and people were very happy to let you and i be at the top of the uh charity yes. water leaderboard yes well there was there was recognition that was certainly going to be involved uh there was follow-up videos it became an event it became mm -hmm. a party at which you wanted to be involved in and yeah. ours was the motivation was do this for the internal feeling that you'll get you will not be validated yeah. outside of outside of knowing that you did something yeah, yeah. good. No, and obviously, I hope this goes without saying. I obviously, appreciate a ton all the people that donated. Yeah, I'm just thinking for next time we're gonna we're gonna do more, you know, fundraising. Yeah, and so I I question um, maybe we should study Mr. Beast. Why was he able to create that? You know, we might not know the answer. We might have to study him. I have to look. I think that's interesting I that have people to look wanted to come in. Yeah, take the top spot. Yeah. 
No, he he definitely is a better promoter than we yeah, are. Yeah. There's no question. I don't think trees are more compelling than water, I guess is what I'm saying. So he's doing something yeah. that makes people want that top spot. Got it. Yeah, I agree. We should figure it out. Sure. Just to clarify real quick before I move on, you guys were right. It's a dollar per tree. I a had, dollar per tree. I was a little confused. Got it. Um, blame the NyQuil. <laughs> I'm a DayQuil now, but yeah. Um, so what's the one that makes you really high? Sudafed? I don't know. What's Cezurup made out of? Robitussin, maybe? I think it's um, prescription strength cough medicine with, um, what's it called? Promethazine? You think. Codeine. No, codeine. Oh, codeine, codeine, codeine. I think it's when you mix promethazine with... No, that's a brand, I think. It's codeine, I think. <laughs> Got it. Listen, I went to school. I never did it, but I went to school when that was like the thing. Like, yeah, it was you put it in the bathtub, and then I think. I watched a video on it. That, no, well, that, see, I went to school when like Lean was like in every rap song. So even uh. if you didn't do it you knew the culture so that that's just that's my excuse and i'm sticking I, I, to it i believe you because i don't know what lean is at um i'm out lean I'm out is the newer is the newer slang for what you just said i think Got scissor it. up or whatever scissor up i do angel doesn't know what a screwdriver is it's just a generational thing <laughs> All right, what else we got? Uh, at uh, uh, Obama was speaking at an Obama Foundation event, and he said that he called out call out culture or cancel culture, and said that it is not activism. Uh, he's he said people who do really good stuff have flaws. People who you are fighting may have kids or may love their kids and share certain things with you. Um, and he's been receiving a lot of bipartisan support. People that are notable on both sides of the political spectrum have come out in support. So I just wanted to see if you guys had a take on that. Yeah, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I mean, did again. You, did you see any of it? No. Okay. No, I don't know anything about it. It sounds, those are two sentences that ring true to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, it seems that. I, I watched, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. If no, you no, watched it, tell me. Well, I watched a bit of it. Yeah. It had a quote I wrote down that I really liked, uh, which is, all, it's almost weird that we have to say this, but uh, Obama said, I get a sense sometimes now that among certain young people, and this is accelerated by social media, there is a sense of the way of making change is to be judgmental to other people and that that's enough. And I just think that that's interesting because that is kind of what's happened is that you can come out and there's a sense that calling out other people is the equivalent of making good change in the world. Mm -hmm. And I agree with him. So I thought it was cool that he came out and highlighted that that's not the best way to yeah. make the world a better place. Is just to come out and judge other people and be mean to other people. Obviously, everything changes. Do you think that we've hit the end or at least an inflection point in this era? That is, I would I do, say, actually. lasted probably like two years -ish? I do. You're, so I think there'll always be hate videos and there'll always be a bit of cancel culture. But I do yeah. think we're hitting the point where you can even see it in the comments when we talk about our own video. And people go, listen, dude, you just have to ignore that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And if you see a video that's critical of someone, just ignore it. Because obviously, it's going to be out. Of, like, there's a sense of obviously... Mm -hmm. This is fake. Obviously, so, this is out of context. Got it. So you and and what I would say, it seems like there there will always be people on either side of an issue that believe passionately in one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you're saying is that there's an increasing majority that is that is getting tired of of or or skeptical of these types of skeptical. I think is yeah. the I think the first time someone made a takedown video, it was taken as gospel. Mm -hmm. I think the first time someone made a ten minute thing. That went, look at this mashup of yeah, what a monster's yeah. person is. Everyone went, person's a monster. Yeah, yeah. And I think now there's more of a sense of, okay, we've seen enough. Someone comes out, you know, someone comes out against James Charles, and then James Charles comes out yeah, with yeah. screenshots, and then this and that. And you, I think there's a bit of maybe we're not getting the full story. Got it. That That is becoming the default 
for more people as time goes on. Got it. I think. Could be wrong. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> we'll see. To be fair, some people didn't like his comments here. I'm sure. People came out and said, who are you, know, who are you to lecture other people about that this isn't the right way to make change. Well, what's weird is, of course, somebody said that. The news reporting, what, what's not reported that we're asking is, where did the majority land? Yeah. Like, of course, I mean, listen, someone responded to this and said, he said this because he's part of the robot overlords that are coming to invade. Like, Lizard people, people yeah. think People think all sorts of things. Yeah. And the three tweets that are chosen in the article become the thrust. But what I would like to know is... Where do most people fall? Yeah, and I think this is part of... Uh, the issue in anticipating the election as it comes up is people don't a lot of the people who are more in the middle don't talk so loud mm -hmm. except perhaps until election day mm -hmm. when some of them do show up and then they they cast their vote mm -hmm. so yeah the you know twitter might have a loud voice in one particular direction but it's always i'm always curious where the internet ends and the real world begins and how much people would actually not show up to a Louis C.K. event or something of that nature, right? Well, I or think, stop watching James Charles or, or whatever it is these days. Yeah, I think people are fatiguing from the hate a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think it, there was this there was this rush of the best thing to do to get views and popularity and this and that is to hate. And I do wonder if people are kind of getting over it. You know, Obama is talking about it. I think there's a, things swing too far. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think there's a sense that, okay, this has swung too far. Interesting. I'm not, I, I don't agree or disagree. I, I'm not sure. I'm interested to see how it plays out though. Cool. Anything else? Twitter's CEO, Jack Dorsey, uh, made an announcement that political ads going forward will no longer be allowed on Twitter in any capacity. He tweeted, we've made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe political messages we believe political message reach should be earned, not bought. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So, like, the person who's going to earn the most is undoubtedly Donald Trump in terms of what serves the the media cycle. This, Donald Trump had billions of dollars of free media coverage. Mm. That's fascinating because uh, I know that Jack Dorsey leans left, mm. and that, that does not seem like a left-leaning thing in this yeah. coming election. Well, the one thing— and maybe I'm just being short-sighted or stupid, but the thing I like about this is does appear to be against his best interests monetarily. Oh, sure. Because there was going to be a lot of money Coming going in. to Twitter for political ads. And that money is still going somewhere. He has mm -hmm. not stopped political advertising. There's just going to be more money towards Facebook, yeah. more money towards Instagram. So my initial reaction to this is that I think it is probably an integrous move, whether mm -hmm. it's right or wrong, good or bad, whatever. I think it comes from a good place, which is very impressive to see, which yeah. is we're going to probably give up hundreds of millions of dollars. Some money. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I, I, I admire that for the same reasons that you described, but it's unfortunate that it comes down to individual companies to make the call. This does seem like mm -hmm. the Citizens United is really where you want to start coping with the amount of money that has entered election cycles. Mm -hmm. It seems that you'd like it to be less. Yeah. Well, it's weird, though, because we know this. That, so you don't want profit driven political information basically is what we're saying but the news is a profit driven information vehicle that's fair and so if you say you can't advertise right mike bloomberg i think his name's mike whatever bloomberg can't come in and use his billions of self-made dollars to promote himself what he can do is direct yeah he can well forget that he can be inflammatory yeah and so i wonder does this give you're now you're not saying that the person who raises the most money can get the most coverage but what you are saying is the person who gets 
the most salacious will. Because if you quietly have brilliant ideas, you will not get as much news coverage as the person who is outlandish. And I think we saw that with Trump. Trump raised far less money yeah. than Hillary did. And so weirdly enough, and I'm not anti this move, like I said, I think this is great um, on some levels, is you don't solve the problem. What you do is you highly incentivize people to be profitable for news organizations. I have to think about this more because I think the, the underlying problem is what role do you want advertising and money to play in the political process? It's still all money is what I'm saying. It's just how can I get if I'm running for president and I'm not allowed to add, I'm not allowed mm. to pay for Facebook ads, TV commercials, yeah, yeah. nothing. Right. One question I ask myself is how do I get the most news coverage now? Yeah. It's not how do I come up with the best platform? How do I be the most thoughtful for the American people? Mm -hmm. It's how do I do that and get CNN to want to put me on CNN as much as possible and definitely more than my opposition. Yeah. So there's this weird thing where you're still your money is still driving the bus. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a solution. I'm sure I don't have a solution, but it's definitely a You'd need nonprofit news. You'd need like PBS to be the only station that could run presidential anything. Well, even so, I mean, people have biases and agendas. And now who gets to speak on PBS? Sure, yeah. Does Andrew Yang get on PBS? Oh, we don't think he's big enough to speak on sure. PBS. You know what I mean? Right? So like uh, there's there's going to be problems no matter what. Yeah, of course. I would really, I got to read like the foundational texts of that, that came up with the ideas of democracy and, and see yeah. how this works. But I think everyone would agree to some extent that you don't want these things purchased, right? Yeah. You don't want the interests of a few people having an outsized effect because they're able to spread misinformation yeah. about what somebody plans to do. And of course, that's compounded by the fact that these people must play a game and be deceptive in what the campaign promises they make that have, that they can't deliver upon because they can't get the, the wild they need. there's it's, no it's there's really no accountability for making a campaign promise and not keeping it no and i think isn't that, that crazy well i think what that speaks to is that people don't hire they don't vote for policy yeah people vote for for personality and what that that person represents yeah. to them you know that person's a freedom fighter that person's a capitalist that person's a socialist whatever it is that they feel they represent and then oftentimes they don't deliver on the promise, but we got our we got our guy, we got our gal. That's what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. I'm know? just I, I I'm truly fascinated. I have no takeaways or enlightened thoughts on it. It's just interesting. Trump could have no wall, not put in term limits, and be reelected. Mm -hmm. And that's just fascinating because the two two of his biggest platforms that I remember is the wall and drain the swamp. But yeah, still might just what, beat out well, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or yeah. whoever it is. This, let's come back in a couple of weeks with a more thoughtful discussion of uh, the role of money in politics and, and how it ideally might be around, because I really don't know. This yeah. is a sticky, thorny issue. But You're going to study it? How are you going to be smarter in a couple of weeks? I'm not going to study it. I'm gonna, I, I would read the philosophy. I actually think that, that the stats are so uninteresting. Yeah. Like the, the basic foundational philosophies of like, what is a democracy? It's okay. The idea is that the people have the power, that the majority of people have the power to set uh, the direction of the government, but you cannot infringe upon minority rights. Okay. What would that look like throwing everything out? You know, mm -hmm. does everybody just vote on their iPhone that is issued from the government and mm -hmm. you vote for every single thing and you're maybe that's the other thing is we have a Republic. We don't have a democracy. Yeah. And that's because it was completely unfeasible to have a democracy. We could have far more democratic. Yeah. Uh, that'd be approaches. crazy. That'd be crazy. It was like, hey, we're pretty sure that Iraq has WMDs. Should we invade? And everybody just goes on to this <laughs> government issued iPad yeah. and you literally go, I'm going to have one 300 millionth of a vote 
I vote invade. Yeah. I vote don't invade. And that was literally what decided if we went to war or not. Yeah. That'd be crazy. Is that crazier than some guy that... Not crazy bad, know, mind-blowing. Like, yeah, yeah. And and the reason, you have to wonder what would the Athenians or whatever have done had they our technology with the philosophy, probably they would have kept their slaves and you know, <laughs> like done the things that they did back then and not given actual power to the people. But the point is that we, we have antiquated systems that we may or may not need yeah. anymore. Uh career politicians wild, dude. you'd actually truly feel involved to some extent I, I would I vote feel, yeah. i would vote oh yeah i don't vote right now because i because to vote in a republic there's nobody that i want to that, that i particularly, to make all the decisions yeah, yeah. Yeah. especially in with the electoral college the fact that i now live in california it's yeah. like i don't know every no matter what happens uh it's gonna go democrat mm -hmm. and there's really not much i can do once that person's in office to sway them but if i were voting i'm for not a policy, lobbyist if i were voting for policy i would vote all the time yeah same uh, so maybe that's the answer is, is again, that's why I think you should always come back to the foundations of any sort of question. Is why like, are we a Republic? Should we have, what does a democracy mean? Yeah, yeah. Like what, what would that look like? How could we do that? Is that a good thing? Um, that's why I like philosophy more than politics mm -hmm. or even, uh, any of, any of the other disciplines. You know what would be hard <laughs> about that? You'd need the people in power to approve that system. You'd need <laughs> yeah. the people in power to give up power back to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, that's not what we philosophers worry about, though. <laughs> <laughs> we come up with good ideas. This is, I'm an idea guy. <laughs> we forget the real world. Uh, okay, what else? The NCAA's board uh, has voted to allow college athletes to profit from their names, images, and likenesses. Yeah, this, right? Uh, no, because this, this, it was before it was California... Uh, the state of California created laws that allows uh, California here suits. in California. Oh, only California. Um, in spite of the NCAA's rules. This is exactly what we said would happen. Now right? the NCAA has voted to, on their end, allow it. It's I a total, globally. It's a total. I mean, a nationwide. I mean, globally. Sorry. Th they were powerless to stop it. Exactly. And so they had two options. Let every state just tell them what was going to be up while they look like the bad guy. Or do this because either way it was happening in every state. Well, what we said, I believe, when we spoke about this, is every athlete's going to California. Yep, you're going, and the NCAA will no longer exist because all you fans of Virginia basketball, there's no one there, yep. right? And so, like, the NCAA would just be demolished from yeah. from a lack of no. It's a total, uh, and they're claim they're like, oh, we want to be good to the student. <laughs> I hate the NCAA. <laughs> oh, we want to be good to the athletes. You, you just greed, greedy pushovers you know like yeah oh well, you're just doing this to save face because you got beat by california what's well, tough and, and 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 this is the thing the ncaa and this is i think this could be true of a lot of people is if you're a guy working in the ncaa you're working in an industry that if you did f go to the foundations of it you go i don't really know what role we have maybe we shouldn't exist yeah. or maybe we should exist at a scale that is one one hundredth of our current size how many people can do that right that's such a that's such a tough thing to do. That's that's personal financial strife and all these sorts of things. So yeah. they have to think that that the perpetuation of the NCAA is important. But again, if you come back to the foundation, why would we have this uh, mandatory amateur league for these phenomenal athletes that in an open market would be paid absurd amounts of money while we pocket the profits yeah. from merchandise and, and everything else associated with it? And they went, yeah, what if, what if we just did this a little bit more fairly? Well, we wouldn't exist. Well, that's the right thing to do, though. Like, that's yeah, never yeah. going to happen. Like, and, and, I, and I think 
it's tough because the NCAA again aren't there's not like there's just bad people in the NCAA. No, no. You put any other person from any other industry in there and say, "Are you willing to uh, chop your own legs off yeah. to do the right thing?" They would go, "No way! Like yeah. we need to, we need to persist. We have to find a way to to be an important institution going forward." And so, yeah, it's tough, tough for them, man. You don't want to be in the NCAA. Got to innovate. Got to be like like my boy Boyan Slot. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why people go to work there. You're, I mean, you're a college athlete and you think it's good. Like you're a college athlete that wasn't going to go pro and you think it's a good you, thing. I live in an echo chamber. I only hear people that you, don't like the NCAA. You know people who chose where they went to work. Let me tell you, why did I take my first job? Because they accepted me. Uh, right? Like you you and your elite little <laughs> <laughs> Wharton friends got to decide which part of the world you wanted to conquer. That's right. Uh, they offer you a job yeah, is, yeah. is how you wind up there. And and I'm sure there's some people that that are fascinated or they're into college athlete, but that's not Google. Yeah, right? that's a place that a lot of people. They just, just give don't. you more money than your alternatives. Well, yeah, you might not have an alternative that you know you come in at the ground floor and they'll they'll take you. So yeah. that's that's your tribe now. And ten years later, you're in a vice. You're the head of it, and you yeah. love it. Yep, because they helped you support your family. And you've seen that that there's good things that they've done. I did that. The NCAA, like every organization out there, has has had positive effects on sure, people's lives. It's just when you go net, should this continue to exist? The answer may be no, despite the fact that they can point to you know a hundred athletes and say this was phenomenal. I'm glad that I participated. Yeah. Uh, so well, that, those athletes could still participate. Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm not saying to disband college sports. Well, part of the issue, and I don't know the NCAA, what they do is there's, I think they're closely involved with Title IX, which means that the money that they take in from, I don't know if the NCAA distributes, but football and basketball take in gets distributed to swimming and field hockey. Yeah. So the majority of student athletes might not have a budget mm-hmm. if not for the surplus created by some the of The majority others. of money they make goes to that? No, 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 no. All of the money comes from football and basketball. Yeah. But the majority of students. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but did does, I say well, that I misspeak? No, no. I just don't know the answer. I thought the majority of the money that the football team made got paid to the football team. Probably yes, but there's just, or to the university at large. Sure, but there's just so much that the majority of student you. athletes would are not economically. Feasible. Maybe if no one wants to watch you play curling, you should be a <laughs> recreational curling player. Yeah. No one watched me play basketball when I was playing pickup <laughs> basketball. You know what I mean? I wasn't like, hey, University of Pennsylvania, I like basketball. Yeah. I'm not good at it. No one wants to watch. Will you send me some money so I can have a coach? Like, no. You can yeah. still go play by yourself with no coach and no ref. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. Maybe well, if your sport has no spectators and you don't bring in any revenue, you shouldn't have a ref unless you're going to fund it yourself. I would like to hear the opposite side of that argument. I'm sure there's people who take the other side. If you want to call in next week, yeah. let us know because I, I can't come up with a good reason that we should uh, fund those sorts of things. But in any event, moving along, what else we got? Uh, this one's a little heavier, but... Nice. We always have one moment. <laughs> yeah, I, had to, I had to get a little heavy. Um, for the last few weeks, there have been unprecedented anti-government protests in Iraq uh, that have taken over the streets of Baghdad. It's gotten pretty violent, unfortunately. Hundreds have been killed, and the police force has been responding with gunfire um, in addition to tear gas. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm not, I unfortunately have not had a ton of time to become super well acquainted with this story, but from my understanding, there isn't a specific issue necessarily. It's, it's a call for a total overhaul of the country's political system. And I don't know if you guys have any takes on that. 
So I know nothing about this particular no, story. No, me neither. But I know that we have people who live in Iraq who watch. Yeah. Do we want to have someone try to Skype in? That'd be amazing. So submit. If you live in Iraq and you think that you have a perspective to share yeah. on the podcast, submit with, instead of your phone number, because we struggle to make international calls, a Skype ID or something. Yeah. And let's try to talk to someone that's in Iraq that can actually share what's happening uh, on the ground. Yeah. yeah. So my the only reaction that I have to this is that I know a little bit of U.S. history. And the 1900s are a long story of us installing governments that, cr that tumble within a few years after us leaving mm -hmm. and leave this power vortex. And sometimes we even then prop up uh, governments that have secret kill squads and all these sorts of things. And uh, I don't know whether people, the average Iraqi would prefer Saddam Hussein or this or that, but it does seem that the idea of spreading democracy by taking out a dictator and installing a government does not work <laughs> well weirdly enough you're comparing what's currently happening with the violent riots compared to saddam hussein who we took out but didn't we also put in saddam hussein when we, we took out someone else no, like our we, involvement no, no, runs deep we supported saddam hussein that's versus what i'm saying Iran. yes that's what i'm saying weapons that he then used that's what i'm saying yeah. is it's like oh we created this vacuum because we tried to do the right thing by taking out saddam hussein mm -hmm. We also empowered Saddam Hussein. Like the U.S. is meddling runs deep. Yeah. And so one thing, again, not a huge student of history. If you want to get in here to debate this, uh, I'm happy to do so. I would have to brush up a bit. But I do think it's fairly easy to defend that the U.S. doesn't look around the world and go, who needs democracy? Though that is what we say when mm -hmm. we invade a country. We look around the world and go, who's, who's threatening our interests mm -hmm. right now? And those interests might be more noble as in the case of world war ii and they might be less noble as in the case of a lot of latin american countries where we're going in for united fruit to mm -hmm. make sure that their plantations are uh staying privatized we will always say as we invade though that it's for democracy mm -hmm. and i and my i guess I, I don't want to say that i'm an isolationist so that there's never a reason but i am definitely uh less desirous of being involved in these foreign conflicts <laughs> partially because it's often represented as if there's one place we got to get to. There's an axis of evil and there's three countries. There's, mm -hmm. you know, North Korea, Iraq, and who knows at this point. I forget the other one. But there's horrible things happening everywhere that yeah. just do not just make don't... the news. The politicians don't mention them because they don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not because they're evil, right? No, it, is, there's no e it doesn't need to be an evil person orchestrating this. <laughs> you all right over there? Yeah. <laughs> Angels here. You on mute? You on mute over there? <laughs> um, yeah, that... that there's terrible things happening in the world and we don't get involved to stop the terrible things. We yeah. get involved for uh, the interests of the U.S. and what those interests are can be everywhere from corporate interests to security interests. And uh, just a bummer, man. It's a bummer when this predictably happens that a government that you install all of a sudden, the culture didn't want it, isn't ready for it, even if it was the perfect democratic yeah. system. So, Yeah, I actually read a book that I thought was fascinating called Economic Hitman. Yeah. That brought a lot of this to light. But then I heard that that book might not be true. Yeah. And so I'm very I'm very torn. And unfortunately, it's very hard to be informed on what the government is actually doing in its covert operations. Yeah. Because that book is allegedly leaks some information that happened with some covert operations and assassinations of foreign leaders. And then obviously the government comes out and goes, this isn't real. Yeah. And you're like, well, 
how am I, an American citizen, supposed to know what the CIA is actually doing, sure. who they're actually assassinating? Well, that's why I try to, and this is this is a an intellectual vulnerability, but I try to start from things that most people agree upon. And most people agree that we did go into Iran and the CIA did have, I forget what it's called, this particular operation where they fomented a rebellion, took out the democratically elected leader who was going to privatize British petroleum, mm-hmm. installed the Shah of Iran, who was a vicious despot, you know, who, who uh, had mm. kill squads and all these sorts of things, who was chased out of his country in 73. And then they have now this theocracy run by the Ayatollah. It's like, well, they had democracy in 1950. Mm. <laughs> and now they're a theocracy. Mm. What happened in the intervening years? I don't think, I, I don't think people argue that the U.S. didn't create that. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of things. Guatemala is similar to that. Chile is similar to that. Uh, there's, so whether or not this particular guy, he was like, he said he was in Indonesia, he was doing these things. Uh, there's enough that we uh, that we do agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. The one I thought that I found fascinating, but I don't know if it's real or not, was when he was saying that we basically took over all of the fruit industry in Costa Rica, I think it was. So Guatemala was, and, was a big one with United Fruit. I don't know about Costa Rica. For though. bananas? Maybe it's yeah. Guatemala, where they we came in and we basically crushed them into debt so that we could then, like, take the collateral and then own everything that was valuable in that country that uh the specifics might be debated but i think there's it's pretty well understood and agreed upon i could be wrong if you want to come in and 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 talk to me please let me know well it's interesting system right because the person that agrees to take the foreign debt is the president so you just bribe the president you just go hey i'm gonna give you 10 million bucks oh yeah you some of them take it i'm gonna give you 10 million bucks and you are gonna give me 500 million dollars of land yeah and maybe i'll even give you the loan for 500 million or whatever but at terms that are impossible for you to hit and now i own all your land well the sad, and then if you say yeah. no i'll just crash your plane that's the saddest thing that's <laughs> when the presidents say no and they they start a rebellion they arm the contras they not even this yeah. one president he was the president of costa rica or guatemala or somewhere and i think you're thinking it might be panama it could be wrong maybe i don't know so this is the thing and and, and, his plane and the crashed. u.s government would say yeah. that this didn't happen so this is why i say i don't know am i maybe the plane it's crash one novel. i think is, is debated i i know here it was either yeah Panama he or said Columbia. no he said no yeah i don't want your money uh you can't bribe me and you can't buy our yeah. land and then his plane crashed and he died yeah and then a different person was elected and then he said i will take that deal yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, but that could be fiction mm, this yeah. is the thing i don't it's tough to know what the cia is actually doing yeah what is it? They release it 50 years later? It has to come public at some point. 100 years later? I don't know the, the timing. But some of the stuff is... And some of the stuff is just... It's whistleblowers come out and then they can't deny it any longer. Plus, nobody cares. So they go, yes, we do acknowledge that this this did, in fact... Yeah, happen. we did that 75 years ago. Yeah. And everyone goes, well, yeah, well. that guy's retired. It's yeah. kind of hard. <laughs> no, the guy that made that call doesn't work here yeah. anymore. No, he's dead. So, yeah, the U- U.S. has a bit of a... And again, not exceptionally, but a sordid history in, in terms of intervening. But... According to Charlie Hoopert, any country with our economic and military strength would do the same thing. I believe that it takes an exceptional group of people. And I do believe, we argued about this, that people are generally getting better. Mm -hmm. I think that somebody asked about spiral dynamics. We can maybe talk about it because we've talked for a long time in another podcast. But the general idea is that the average level of human consciousness is moving up from a tribal to a religious, mm-hmm. to a merchant-based, trade-based, and is and is now entering a stage of uh, a more global concern versus what would have been true a thousand years ago, which mm-hmm. was you know kill people that do not have my same tribe. And more people are entering that space of global mm-hmm. concern, which I tend to believe is true. Uh, so another episode we'll talk about spiral dynamics in depth, though. But hopefully it doesn't continue like this. And this is one of the the last empire type 
behaviors that we see <laughs> from a major nation. But yeah, if you want to call in and you're from Iraq, please do. I'd love to hear how things are going. What else? That's it for current events, but do you guys want to do questions? Please. Yeah, sure. What time is it? Uh, it is 2.04. 2.04. Okay, so we have a question from Lumifer who wants to know about toxic relationships. Lumifer. Uh, Lumifer. That's a great name and or uh, handle. Yeah, well, actually, rather, toxic friendships. So the question is, how do I end a long friendship that has turned toxic over the years? For example, nowadays, the friend guilt trips me a lot and makes promises and doesn't deliver, etc. This has been going on for almost two of the seven years I've known her. I feel like ghosting is better than telling her something, but is there a better way to end the friendship? And how would you do it? Love the podcast and the main channel. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts. Cool. Also, I wanted to correct myself. I thought I got that wrong. The Shah of Iran was overthrown in 79, not 73. Sorry. I knew that. I, that didn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what do you do? You have a toxic friend. She is, what does it say? Selfish. Uh, it says, um, friend guilt trips me a lot and makes promises and doesn't deliver. Mm. For Should, example, how do you end the friendship? Do you ghost? Do you, what do you do? I think the question is, do I say to you or do I say to this person, I don't want to be your friend or do I just ghost them? Or is there a third option Do you? Well, the, I, with all of these situations, I go, what is your ideal circumstance? And if the ideal is they change and we remain friends, then I would shoot for your ideal, which mm -hmm. is, which could be the, the most productive outcome, which is you would sit down with this person say, Hey, this isn't easy to say, you know, you open them up, uh, but I have something to tell you that I've been thinking about and it's not easy. You know, you get them ready and primed to listen. But these particular behaviors, you, you speak in uh, when you, when you give a particular behavior and you say how you feel so that they cannot say that's untrue, mm -hmm. right? Because they did in fact do that behavior and what you feel is what you feel. Yeah, so it's not because you're flaky. I don't want to be yeah. friends. It's yeah. when we made plans the last two times and For you seven. said you would yeah. pick me up. You didn't pick me up. And that made me feel undervalued like and care. our friendship is starting to lose its appeal to me because of instances like that yeah and if it is the case that you want to remain friends you could say i'm telling you this because i don't want i don't want to not be friends with you but i feel if that continues that i that i would not yeah be you end on the you. positive note you kind of paint you paint the positive scenario you yeah. go you know i don't want that what i want is for us to be close and help each other and when we say things we're going to do them and blah 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 and yeah uh, and f yeah, and from there you go. So, so I wanted to tell you, and then you ask for the change. You know, I would like to. Will you change X, Y, and Z? And normally, when approached in that way, you'll get a yes. And then you see if they change. If they do, you guys can continue to be friends. Hopefully, with a bit more honest communication about the particular things that you're not liking, uh, which I do think is important. Mm -hmm. uh, and if not, that's it. Now, I've had scenarios that have gone the other way where it's it's like this person is not going to stop doing this thing they think that they're justified in whatever toxic behaviors they're continuing i know, to do. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about and and in those cases uh i had a similar conversation where i said when you, you this this person for instance uh was a friend in a different country and i, I wasn't calling him as often as he wanted me to so when I'd get on the phone, he would lecture me about not calling him. And I said, when you lectured me for not calling you, it makes me want to call you even less. And I would like you to not do that. And he says, well, you don't call, you know, and then he, <laughs> you don't call me enough. And then in the same conversation, he uh, lectured me for, for something else that I was doing that he didn't approve of. And it was a very uh, 
judgmental relationship. I said, I don't want to do this anymore is eventually what I said. I was like, I don't want to do this. If you want to talk and not do this, then you can call me, but I won't be calling you is what I said. And we haven't spoken <laughs> since. And that was the ideal, which is we have a good relationship or we don't have a relationship. And so I got my ideal given what was what was on the table for me. Hmm. Uh, so I think that I would recommend a similar thing and it can go either way. Cool. We've got one more question. Uh, and this is one that I really identify with. It comes from Daniel. How do you suggest coping with analysis paralysis? Um, for me personally, whenever I have to make a major life decision and there's no clear path, I fret over making a decision that I'll regret. This happens so often that I end up doing nothing for long periods of time, which I realize is still a decision in <laughs> itself, albeit a bad one. Um, I would love to hear your advice. Do you have, I, I mean, I have a, an initial thought. If you I do. Well, my first thought was I was laughing because Angel's going to get memed because every time mm -hmm. there's questions, he picks at least one that applies to his own life. <laughs> oh, every week there's so always one. The best thing, the best way to get a question in front of us is just to think, what would Angel Sometimes want? Sometimes I read them, I'm like, that's a great question. Yeah. I want to know Every that. week. I picked this one because it would help me. <laughs> Cracked me up. Uh, it honestly distracted me a bit from the question, but. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. So I read it when I read this question, there's a part of it where he says, I don't make a decision, but ultimately that is a decision. And that is what resonated with me a lot in life, which weirdly enough, it sounds like he already has that mindset. But yeah. I, when I had tough decisions, something I decided was I would rather regret doing something than regret not doing it. And that, that mindset has helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think it sounds like this person is starting to get there where they're starting to regret not making decisions. But yeah, that absence of action is it's not a recipe for happiness mm -hmm. so i think realizing that and then having that go from your front brain to your belief system that's been really helpful for me mm -hmm. well we we did a video that is 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 related not directly on procrastination which i would recommend checking out but the other thing to do is to i presume that when it comes to school and work you hand things in on time right at some point your analysis paralysis comes into contact with reality in the form this. of a deadline set deadlines yeah and the issue is that there's things in life for which no one is giving you a deadline. You don't have to start your business by XYZ day. You don't have to do anything. Uh, and not only is there no deadline, because there's no deadline, there's no penalty for mm. missing said deadline. So the best thing that you can do for yourself is be your own boss slash manager and impose draconian deadlines mm -hmm. uh, for these sorts of things. So if it's a big thing and you really want to take time to analyze it, you can give yourself... 20 minutes, <laughs> 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. Give yourself far less than you think you need before you need to make a decision and move forward. And the penalty for not moving forward is you'll text a friend and you'll tell him, hey, if in the next week I find myself in a decision where I, you know, need to take some sort of course of action and I don't do it within 20 minutes of recognizing this, I'm going to send you 50 bucks. I'm going to send you 100 bucks. And now you've got a boss and mm -hmm. now you've got a deadline and that's going to be much more likely to do. The other, the other helpful heuristic is to ask yourself, will I care about this decision in, I would say, two weeks? Will this decision be important two weeks from today? And if the answer is no, you must make that decision within 10 seconds, even if it is flipping a coin. Mm -hmm. And that, that develops a muscle. And the muscle actually isn't just in decision-making. It's in letting go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's in going, this doesn't matter. I'm just going to move down whatever path. Uh, but those those two heuristics, and especially when driven by penalty of having to pay for something, can be really, really good for getting yourself 
motivated to move in any in any direction at all yeah cool podcast is over now but (laughs) we decided we're going to start doing international calls instead of just having fans from the u.s able to call in so it'll be in the doc you're going to have to leave a few bits of extra information so that we can definitely get in touch with you but yeah that's all in the document in the description below if you'd like to call for any reason also huge thank you to our sponsor for this podcast charisma university (laughs) we talked about it i think at some of the answers today uh but it's our course on how to be more confident and charismatic in 30 days if you'd like to check it out we think it's awesome lots we've got like what four thousand plus members at this point yep we actually have to count exactly how many i think it could be significantly more than that but uh we've done reviews we have people say on a scale of one to ten what they're thinking it's averaging a nine right now it's it's awesome 1183 people yeah say it's a nine out of ten so if if you enjoy our channel i think that this is the best thing that i've ever created with regards to charisma so you know it's a bummer out of being a nine out of ten when someone leaves like a four-star review, <laughs> you need so many. Like I was looking at it, I was like, to be a nine out of 10 is actually incredible because yeah. for every four-star, you need so many 10 stars yeah. to average a nine. If they, we could say the mode, it's a 10. Yes. The most common thing, 10. Yeah, but that would be But cheating. occasionally there's a four. <laughs> and so it's a nine. Yeah. So anyways, if you guys want to check that out, that will be in the description below. And thanks for listening. It's been a good cast. We'll catch you maybe in a few days. We're going to try to do two of these a week. We love you. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.